Welcome to a new episode of Speed Change Repeat. On today's episode, I host Bart Warren. Bart is the head of AI and robotics at the Ahold Dalhaus Group. In the Netherlands, the group is known for its consumer brands such as Albert Hein, Bold.com, Ethos, and others. On the podcast, we discuss the group's vision in relation to AI and robotics, their ability to innovate despite very tight margins, and the competition against the digital native companies. The episode was recorded in the Air Lab, AI for Retail Lab in Delft. So, uh, Bart, good afternoon, and uh, welcome to our episode on Speed Change Repeat. And unfortunately, today Jonathan couldn't be with us. He's in Germany taking care of another podcast in Berlin. So here I am myself uh, taking care of you here. And uh, now, Bart, who are you? And in fact, before even we go into that, sort of, let's talk about the place we're in a bit. So we are the Air Lab um, uh, and uh, in Delft. Maybe just before even introducing yourself. What is this place? What does it mean? Yeah, sure. Because I think you got a good introduction, uh, actually. We're, um, we're at our facilities in Delft. And in Delft, we have a, a test site where we can test new robotic solutions. Uh, we have a few student teams working here on new robotic solutions. So it's really a vibrant place. Right. Um, we build a s- small mock store here where we can safely test new innovations in retail regarding robotics. But it's really... You're entering at the right time because uh, I think all the student teams have a deadline next week. I heard. So they were freaking out. Things went wrong. Things went <laughs> awesome. You, If you're around right now, you hear cheers. You see people running around right. stressed. So yeah. it's a very, I would say it's a very vibrant place right now. Uh, but they're literally building together uh, a lot of prototypes. Correct. So it's uh, Correct. And inspirational, I, heard I would say. Next Friday, there is a demo day. So I'll try to be here if I can. Yeah. Uh, so now not to delay. So Bart, you, you are with the... Albert Hein or the Ahold Group, and you're responsible for um, robotics, artificial intelligence. Now, what, before we go into your professional space, who are you as a, let's say, what's your story like? Like, where have you maybe studied? Where have you lived? Where are you from? Yeah, it's a nice, it's a big curve. Uh, I think <laughs> I made. Yeah, you might have uh, seen, have, yeah. have guessed that one. No, so um, uh, I'm working at Aldo Hez indeed right, right. now, but um, I've been been a bit with the company for a long time, as many people are in uh, in the Netherlands or around the globe. Actually, I started working at the company when I was 15. Oh, is it? Yeah, yeah. filling the shelves as right. most of the people right. uh, uh, did. Actually. It's a thing here. Yeah, yeah, I think one in five worked at one moment in time for us, but. Um, that's a good guesstimate, I would say, but at least uh, m- most of the people in the Netherlands have this experience. Right. Um, but then I, uh, I went studying. Actually, I was all lined up to, uh, um, uh, to work in psychology as a therapist. Um, but then uh, I had this amazing event that someone entered my, uh, my office when I was uh, giving treatment. Um, uh, and it was stunning that this person worked in, in business and um, he or she, I should be a bit vague here, right. <laughs> told me a lot of background on what happened in business uh, because he or she was a manager. And I was intrigued. Like people spent eight, nine hours working and I was fascinated by the concept of work because it's so meaningful in our life. We do a right. lot. Of course. Um, 
finalized my studies, started uh, doing a big study actually at the company, studying behavior of people and how it related to business performance. Right. And just uh, so, so your university background was psychology. Clinical psychology. Right. And it's yeah. quite far from yeah. wh- what you're doing right now. You know, I already moved. So I moved from clinical psychology to industrial psychology to right. really study uh, kind of human behavior in work settings. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Which still sounds, if I look back right now, you're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> But I think the concept of work is kind of a red line in my career later on as well, yeah. if I look back. So why people spend nine, ten hours a day, eight hours a day in a setting um, uh, to provide kind of, uh, of course, their families and themselves with a way, Indeed. Uh, with an income, but also it's a way of living. Right. It's so important. So I did clinical psychology, industrial psychology, started doing internships and uh, finalized my, uh, my studies, um, already studying behavior of people and how it impacted the performance. And then I started doing my PhD actually in the same topic. So I did a PhD at Economics and Business in uh, Groningen. Yep. I was partly working at, uh, at Aldo Hesse, 50% of my time. Okay. The other half I was working at university. Again, we tracked uh, a lot of data. So we followed around 3,000 people over a few years. Um, measured a lot on how they performed, what right. they feel, right. how they lead. And connected that to business performance. Very interesting. And was this at the stores or was this at the management level? No, this was uh, at a store level because if you love uh, statistics, stores are amazing. Absolutely. So the average store is quite big actually yeah. in the Netherlands, especially. Um, but the the best thing is is that the assortment and all this basic stuff is kind of stable. Right. So the differences in store you can really study well if you look at people. Mm. So it's a perfect kind of setting to study how human behavior affects business performance and results. That's so interesting indeed, yeah. yeah. And from that, it, it kind of escalated. Uh, I, um, I was able to, uh, uh, to pitch an idea to the board to say, okay, we need a more qualitative approach to also study human behavior Absolutely. using data. Uh, I was able to set up a small team to do so. And I hired... Uh, I would say amazing people who are really good in, in puzzling, in, uh, in, in connecting bits and pieces of data uh, to actually uh, to do this. So that kind of skill to puzzle yeah. is relatively agnostic, right? It's not only people. So pretty soon this team also started doing different things, uh, sales forecasting. Right. And then it went just from HR analytics to basic global or uh, to, analytics. Yeah, to more generic yeah, or general uh, analytics. Um, and then after a while, and I think this was really a tipping point, we were, so we were, we were based in HR doing a lot more non-HR work, which right. was... And this was what, five years ago, right? Or yeah. four years ago? Um, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And so we were, we were in HR doing more and more also non-HR work. And then we were thinking, okay, the skills that this team has... Can be applied in so much more. Can, can do more. Right. And, but we were also thinking about what is the skill this team have. And it's, of course, using technology, in this yeah. case, data and computing power, to find patterns that, as a human, you cannot really mm-hmm. kind of encompass. So what we, what we then were thinking, okay, if this is a, a kind of work you can do with technology, yeah. finding patterns, what else could technology do? And, of course, then we, we re-looked at our business and we said, okay, actually, throughout our businesses, we use technology uh, everywhere right we have automated warehouses we have self-scan checkouts we have the entire value chain yes is more or less fully automated or at least supported by technology so that led us to a big uh yeah it's maybe a bit lame to say it afterwards but i kind of had this epiphany (laughs) like ooh, if you look at the concept of work and where man and machine have to interact to do work that's an extremely interesting kind of field and then you can already feel it coming 
Artificial <laughs> intelligence is one part of technology you can use. Right. Robotics is another Correct. part of technology yeah. that you can use. So this unified already the, the track that we were on. And now I think it's, uh, um, it's really the idea to look at it from, a, from this standpoint. So we have a lot of work to do in this company, a lot of opportunities as well, customer facing, in the back end, everywhere. And it's always an interaction between how humans and machines interact and kind of do that work. So work was the red line, right? Uh, the storyline at least. Uh, and now we ended up uh, here uh, physically also in Delft with opening a robot lab, which for our company was quite groundbreaking, I think, to do. Right. And and you uh, uh, judging by sort of LinkedIn as well. So about two years ago that you, you guys have started the Air Lab, yeah. right? And uh, you were one of the founders of the Air Lab. What does that mean? Like uh, what? What was the push for a company like Ahol to say, you know what, we need real investment into artificial intelligence at this point? Yeah, um, well, it's partly been in management terms, I think it's called bootlegging. So kind of a, a, an innovation process that goes through walls, people just do it. Right. And uh, this is more or less what happened. But I think if you look at the history of the company, right, it's more than it's more than 100 years old. And, and Aldo has is a family of brands. So Absolutely. We, we have, in the Netherlands, we have... Um, Liquor, a liquor store chain. We have a, a pharmacy. We have a, or type of a drugstore. I think you call it. Right. Uh, we have a, a, one of the biggest grocery chains in the Netherlands, or the biggest actually. So it's a, it's a big portfolio of brands, but all in retail except for one. We have the Dutch version of Amazon, Bol.com as well. Right. Right. So in that whole portfolio, what you could see changing was that technology always played a very important role in that. But from being only uh, used in our operations, yeah. it's being used throughout also making our business. So in the front end, in, uh, of course, attracting new customers, servicing customers in new ways. So technology played a bigger and bigger and bigger role over the, over the past years, of course, already. And we, uh, uh, we are traditionally not a tech company, right? We use tech, but we're not a tech developing company. And for us, there was a point in, in time that we realized, okay, this is a different game we're playing. And our CEO, Franz Müller, acknowledged that. And said, okay, we need to uh, also with that build different muscles, build it and develop a different capability. Also in a different way, because there were two or three major arguments, I think, or main arguments you could make. One is in retail, your timelines are relatively short. So you don't think about 10, 15 years building a capability that will require investment over the long term is really something new. The second thing is, is what we, what's really new for us is that we operate on a 4% margin. Oh, yes. That, that's a big thing. Yeah. So we are a very big company. Um, but at 4% margin, that's kind of a that's tricky business. You have 4% to be, margin. Is that for the retail business, right? Yeah. That's the overall, ret- that's the overall margin of the company. So what you, what you of course, then, then see is that longer term or more risky decisions, yeah, they are quite hard to take. Interesting. Uh, so... Investing in building a capability that will take time to develop, also has a high uncertainty whether it will deliver Correct. direct impact, direct value. In the time already. frame that you have put out. For yes, it, yeah. in a foreseeable time frame. That's really challenging. So these are, these are two main arguments. We say, mm-hmm. ooh, it's challenging for the company. Uh, and then uh, we had great support from C-Level just to, to give it a go, uh, to push for opening uh, AI for retail labs. So really research labs, both in really algorithmic development, we do right. that in Amsterdam, and also in the robotics area, which we do, do here Delft. In, uh, in Delft. Fantastic. Now it's actually a very good um, pivot now towards 
what is the group doing in this space, right? And if you look at the value chain, there's all sorts of things. If you look at um, some of the previous or recent news articles, I saw a lot on quite a big investment of $480 million in US on the supply chain automation, which was uh, with some acquisitions. At the same time, what we hear is the the sort of uh, user-facing side is going through a lot of changes. I mean, I'm myself a customer of uh, Albert Hein, and I see sort of, well, it has to live up to all the expectations and changes, not only digital, but also societal sustainability being a huge part of it. Like among my friends, I got people who say, you know what? I want to do full plastic free shopping. And what does that mean? And uh, interesting to observe how the layout of the, uh, uh, let's say of the shops is changing with that as well as the packaging. Like now you can go and like chop your leaves and collect it. So that definitely has an impact on supply chain and definitely also has an impact on how the technology stack is uh, prepared. So uh, now to sort of uh, what are the exciting things from your side that have been happening that you would like to highlight as, you know what, this sets us as front runners in the space, or do you consider yourself to be a front runner in this space? Wow. The last question, of course, is, uh, is a precarious one. <laughs> right. So uh, I think what you see happening, and of course that happened in a lot of different industries, is um, is that that for some some of the parts, because we're more and more reliant on technology, some of the pure tech players jump onto the business of retail. And that's a development that everyone saw coming. Yes, and it's yeah. already been on the, on the go for a few years right now. But it is a big change, which means that the traditional model where you open the store and location was everything, right now by delivery, even kind right. of um, um, non-traditional retailers have a very low entry uh, barrier to, to just enter the market. Absolutely. So that makes uh, that makes that you have to be on uh, on top of your game in many aspects. I would say. Um, so if you see what's what's changing for our customers, I think there are a few developments that are really worth mentioning. So the first application of technology, which I'm thrilled about, is actually uh, um, to to really cut waste. Mm. So in 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 being able to build better forecasts. Uh, you can easily uh, have less waste in the stores, right. also less waste in transport, right? Less uh, trucks that drive around and partly loaded. So you can optimize a lot there. But what's also really cool is the pilot we launched last year in Albert Heijn where they do dynamic pricing. Correct. Um, so, uh, of course, um, we already have a mechanism in our stores to uh, kind of uh, give a discount when a product almost reached the due date. But with this, it's... Um, it's being possible because we use electronic shelf labels right exactly. now more and more. Yes. You can do this dynamically, which right. will reduce a lot of food waste in um, in the supply chain. And I think that's that's one of the application areas, which is, I would say, uh, awesome. Interesting, yeah. Another one is actually um, that we we have we have quite a bit of trouble finding enough people to actually work uh, also in our supply chain in is the it? Netherlands. We have a, there's a that's a very tight. Uh, labor market right, right. now with uh, economy uh, still thriving. So uh, to be able to... Um, so is to it u- the blue collar are you talking yeah. about? Okay. Yeah, to use technology in a way to support manual labor there right. is one of the big things we do. And we do so, I think, um, we opened up the mechanized warehouse in Zandam. It's quite right. a, also exactly. a big investment. Um, and there what you see happening is... Uh, is that by using technology in clever ways, um, we can kind of ensure the continuity of our business. Uh, and I would say uh, that that is also helpful for, for happy customers. In no, the end, absolutely. Right? So absolutely. it's important for us. So these are areas that um, I'm, I'm thrilled about. Um, if you look at more the front end to customers, 
um, a lot is changing. Absolutely. So I think in the past we've seen that you had really different what people called channels, right? You had mm-hmm. an online channel, you had an offline channel. So and now it's blending brick and mortar. Into, yeah. And now it's really merging. Absolutely. So what we see happening in our stores is um, if you go uh, go shopping, you you can grab uh, kind of a, a self scan. Uh, That's part. Of, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, you can go to the self scan, but you can scan your loyalty card. It knows that you're in the store. It gives you the relevant um, uh, recommendations and advertisements on the the scan pistol or on your phone, real time when you walk through the store. Yeah. So here you see that the the um, the channels are actually merging. So it's not offline it's not uh, it's a blended online. model it's it's more or less a hybrid model or, right. or inline model they call it at Albert Heijn and I think that's oh, it's like inline online okay I see yeah, the game it's, yeah it's like yeah um, but I think that that development uh, also puts a lot of pressure on developing technology that is uh, easy to navigate in for customers right. and also reliable and trustable and scalable and scalable <laughs> yeah so um, I um I do not envy the people in IT who really have to rapidly scale all the systems because I think um, uh, working in a company uh, this age uh, yeah. also means, of course, you have legacy. So Absolutely. legacy in IT, uh, yeah. it also means you have legacy in a positive way. You have trust from your customers that you can navigate also this kind of disruption, if you might call it, or this new development, that you can navigate through it in a responsible way. Well, with trust, that is true, but with trust comes responsibility, that, you know, basically at this scale, there is no space to mess up. Right? So, yeah. so that, that is a tricky part. Now, we will go into uh, the, the very interesting two use cases that you talked about, which is uh, waste management, absolutely. It is critical from all perspectives, you know, and I think. And uh, the second one was, I- indeed, how do you collaborate so machine and human interaction? And that's something which is very close to you, actually. Now, but before that, we see a lot of different approaches in retail. And what is interesting to observe is that retail historically has not been the most, you know, uh, profitable space. But why is there so much competition then? Yeah, if you actually, it's uh, almost insane if you look at the competition and the pressure um, on that market uh, with a lot of new entrants or or brands rebranding to food retail, Correct. to retail as uh, in general. If you look at Belgium, that that market is completely swamped with with brands. I think, um, and this is an interesting development that we didn't touch upon, is that if you look at really successful big companies in in the last ten years, what you see um, is that it, these are mostly tech companies that build kind of propositions around the customer, and they do it so well that they do not only cover food. They also cover banking, finance, uh, or they cover health, or they they have a complete proposition around the customer. And because they're present everywhere, like Tencent or Alibaba, um, in in the full environment around the customer, they, they can gather a lot of information about the customer and be the most relevant one. Correct. And we are in food retail, which means for us, you see that we are expanding from food retail, for example, so to e-commerce, right? And and, uh, and the platform uh, Bold.com is a good example of that. So we are expanding the the, the trench, the mold of of, um, of food retail, whilst the other ones, uh, I would say, or more direct competition right now is com- comes from companies that were traditionally not in food retail but added That's added to their proposition, right? So 
that also puts a bit of uh, of a pressure on all the parties that are already in food retail. Correct. I mean, if you, if you also look at Picnic, and in fact, uh, I've uh, previously interviewed the uh, CTO of Picnic, uh, Daniel Gebler, uh, to also discuss the same. Is sort of where do they see opportunities? And I mean, they truly put themselves as a data-driven organization. You know, the way they tackle last-mile logistics or all the way to even measuring, you know, how many turns does a bike take or to optimize that. So where would you compare yourself to this kind of, you know, data native company such as Picnic, which just, you know, raised a lot of money, got a lot of attention versus where you are at right now? Are they like, how do you position yourself there? I think we have different levels of maturity across the brands and that's perfectly normal because there are different incentives to innovate throughout the globe. So we are active in uh, in Romania, in Greece, in Indonesia, right. in Czech, in uh, in the Netherlands, of course, in the East Coast U.S. Um, and it defer, it kind of is, it's a difference where you are. If you were to kind of put us on, um, uh, let's say, on a scale of innovation, I think what 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 is unique about this company is it has a track record of being able to adapt mm. or and to be well. That's why it's still there. Yeah, that's why it's years. still there. Yeah. So. That's not, I would say, a legitimization that it still will be there in the future, but at least it showed that this company, um, despite or actually uh, maybe uh, due to its size, is able to adapt. Mm. Um, it does require a lot of flexibility. I think there are a few good examples of companies that really went into a niche. So Ocado, I think, is a great example right. who really went into one part of the, of the value chain, right? one part of the business model, and they amplified that. Um, and there are a few good examples, even outside our industry, of companies who were in an industry, then picked a special niche where they wanted Correct. to be really good at, uh, good at, and then focused fully on that one. Right? Even Philips sold their lightning Absolutely. division. Philips it's a great is a example, I think. One, yeah. So if you're able to to innovate and to, to develop so radically, I think that's respectable. On the other hand. Like the company uh, Ahold and also uh, Del Hazi before they merged, they really have a long tradition in. Um, not so much food retail, of course, food retail, food retail, but interacting on a very close base with customers. And Indeed. I think that is um, that is really the the thing that is differentiating. Mm-hmm. I think we have a, a history of being super close to customers, being able to know what they want, um, and we used to do that based on experience. Right, your local store, your local store manager knew when you came in. Hey, uh, how right, how, how were the exams of your kid and whatsoever? Correct. And right now, of course, more and more technology enables that we better understand people again. Interesting. So I think our history allows us and puts us in a good position to to keep playing that role. However, we do need to, of course, have a really good look at where do we collaborate with others, where do we partner, what do right. we buy, Indeed. what do we build, absolutely, uh, and where do we partner? And I think the collaborations with AirLab is an example where we partner with universities right now. Right. We never did it on this scale and structured like this. For us, it's new to create new kinds of propositions and values. So uh, I think it requires um, uh, that you can adapt. Absolutely. And, and uh, if you look at the space of retail over the last hundred years, it has changed dramatically. You know, what you mentioned is having a personal relationship. That's also similar to a bank. You know, so people used to know their branch managers and that was a very personal relationship versus uh, sort of what we see right now is like, I don't know my cashiers by name, neither do they. Well, I see their name, they don't know mine. But it just shows that, uh, you know, we have scaled that uh, 
let's say it has also gone from product choices. A small mom and pop store would have uh, the, the number of products they would have, and now it's a completely different story. And if you go online, you know, like uh, it's it can be endless. I mean, the long tail and everything. Now, so the, the next thing is basically actually choosing what is next. And we have seen different things, you know, so we have seen uh, Amazon uh, with their uh, Amazon Go concept stores, for example, that saying, okay, this is going to be the future of retail. On the other hand, part of the world, we just briefly mentioned Alibaba and Tencent, Alibaba's concept store, Hema, which is also very interesting where they, again, a blended model. You can go there and it's experiential, uh, let's say, Retail and that as a whole is an interesting space to look into, as well as they sort of created a picking space. So it's also an acting warehouse where you can order somebody to pick uh, on your behalf. So what is it for a hold actually in this case? Where do you guys feel like, you know, this is the more European way, this is our way, or is it good or is it we try everything? What is the approach? Well, it's definitely a global way, right? So more than half of our business is in the US. Oh, that's also true. So, that is absolutely so, uh, yeah. it's it's definitely um, a global way. But of course we have regions. So we have the US region and the European region with their uh, I would say typicalities and uh, uniqueness. Um I think we uh, we have a purpose right now that says uh, eat well, save time, and live right, live absolutely, better. Absolutely, yeah. And I think that purpose allows for a beautiful approach actually mm-hmm. to be connected to an important part of people's life, which is food, of course. Um, that allows you to live better. I think that proposition allows us to go in different directions. If you look at the formats through which we achieve that, I think it will be uh, uh, an exciting time where we have. For example, in a Dutch market, we have a broad palais actually uh, um, of of brands. So we uh, in the Netherlands we have Ethos and Gallengal, and we have Bold.com, and we have Albert Heijn, which allows you to to cover a big specter of of offerings you can make to customers and make you relevant. But the formats, if you talk about stores, so convenience, you mentioned the uh, right. the Go store. I think actually what I find super intriguing is again and maybe uh, i'm repeating myself is again also on a customer level the relationship between um where technology supports a specific experience whether it takes over yes or no and that we actually are jointly defining as humanity right now how acceptable and how actually open we are for these different kinds of thresholds you can put in place there so just to give you an example that in san francisco right now the municipality is actually considering uh, and debating about um, not only preventing the, the the police from using face recognition, but actually they're discussing whether stores should be manned, yes or no. And they're thinking about putting regulation in place to not allow unmanned stores anymore because it decreases social interaction. So I think part of our model foundationally is really constantly thinking about how do we relate to customers and how can we use technology for this? Sure. And also the other formats that we have. We also are testing a format right now uh, with a store that you can put everywhere. It's a box store. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's It's a container store. Yeah, the container Uh store or the nano store as we call it. Yeah, you can put it everywhere on different spots. It's unmanned. You can access it. You don't even need an app. You can just swipe your phone or your bank account, uh, your your debit card and you can enter. So we're also experimenting with different formats, with convenience, with more experimental stores as well, experience stores where you can experience your food. But I think in general food retail and retail as a whole, it is so close to what people do on a very high frequency on a daily basis, right? They put food in their mouth 
of themselves, but also of their family, their friends. It's so personal that it is one of the most intriguing parts, as is health, maybe, to see what technology will do. That is so interesting. So now actually, we, uh, given the time, let's just focus on maybe one use case that is very interesting to you and we delve a bit deeper into either what you have been already proud of as a company uh, to work on and yourself or something that is coming up and we try to understand it in more detail, one use case, be it customer facing or internal. Yes, I should be thinking a little bit about it, what I'm going to pick here. Um, so just to give you a bit of background, if you're operating at 4% margin, right. um, it's, you, can do, you can focus on a lot of different stuff to increase the number of customers, the, number of revenue, the, the revenue numbers or, or the conversion numbers. Uh, but a big impact on your bottom line is also cost saving. So Correct. cutting waste, uh, diminishing food waste, or, or uh, even uh, um, what I already told you, the mileage of our trucks. Um, so it's tempting within retail to always focus on, on that part. I think one of the things that um, I'm, I'm super intrigued by and I think is really important and will develop uh, over the past, over the coming years, I think considerably, is really a culture of experimentation and learning, which means for me... Um, Bold.com really does this. Oh yes, they're A/B testing. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Uh, and they, yeah, they do. They have their own method of testing, their own whole experimentation team, their own measurement team. Right. And I think transferring that from an online environment to also an offline environment in a structured way that that's gonna that's gonna I would say revolutionize probably also offline retail uh, considerably. So. Of course, we, we know everyone talks about, yeah, let's do a proof of concept. Let's do a small test in a few stores. But to really on a large scale determine um, in all these different channels that we just discussed, right? So online, offline and inline, um, actually what works and what doesn't work. So infusing a culture of learning that is, I would say, almost natural in an online environment, but that transfer that to the offline environment, that will, that will probably revolutionize retail even further. This is super interesting, but at the same time, it comes at this cost. In fact, I was just in the morning at, uh, there's an executive program that I'm doing on data analytics. And the speaker was talking about an interesting uh, terminology, calling it the pilotitis as a, uh, as, a, as, a, as a disease in a way that we focus so much on uh, proof of concepts and all companies more or less, you know, big companies that can afford are doing a lot of pilots and proof of concepts and definitely we need to create a culture of that. But do you also see that uh, scaling those is becoming very difficult? Like, are we have we sort of figured out that, okay, we can do pilots, but what's next? Or is that... Uh, I think actually scaling should be part of your, your, your experimentation design and your learning design. It is very hard. I think there maybe bigger companies have the advantage that they have the means to invest. It also uh, depends on how you're organized. But I think if you can scale um, with speed, that is really a different skill that is sometimes lacking in organizations, right? That's why they all set up startup incubators Correct, uh, they absolutely. rely on startups yeah. because sometimes yeah. they look at startups with envy and say wow they can right. really scale stuff fast i have to admit that that really scaling in an offline environment is it's much more costly of course it's much more costly so it's also um the experience has been that of course you can collaborate with startups but to scale their model when it really has an impact on our operations that's that's really sometimes hard to do 
Interesting. So, what are you looking forward towards uh, with uh, the space of retail in the in the coming years? And in fact, one of the last questions we always ask is, "Do you have a prediction to make?" You know, and we always do this. It's a hilarious exercise because making any prediction in this this space is always going to be wrong. But we always challenge our speakers uh, to sort of make a prediction in your space of world. And you get to choose both the timeline, and uh, <laughs> it's probably going to help me forever. So, so first, what I'm what I'm looking forward to. So, um, the AI for Retail Lab we have in Amsterdam is um, is really doing cutting edge research in um, and also customer facing algorithmic solutions. So right. they think about, for example, multimodality. So you can switch from your phone. Uh, taking a picture of a watch, then talk to the phone and say, hey, I want this, but then in green, mm-hmm. uh, maybe in silver. And then it should should actually find the right products in this huge, vast kind of catalog of products. That kind of development will be will be speeding up. And I think it will become more easy to find stuff to be relevant also for people. And the second thing I really like what they're doing over there is they're, they're Finding out how we can interact with, in this case, computers in a more interactive, creative way. So they're building creative chatbots. Interesting. Which is really a nice, I think... um, What does a creative chatbot mean? What is a creative... A creative chatbot kind of uh, acknowledges who you are and knows Mm -hmm. what you have been talking about. uh, So the context. Yeah, yeah, it's the context. It can also rely on style transfer. So maybe you need a different style and a different type of explanation and interaction than I need. I see. Um... So to be more relevant, I think, is is also to do this, actually, to be creative, uh, to make machines also more creative. And I think, and this is maybe my my most, yeah, my 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 biggest hope or expectation is actually that we that we find a way to in a in a responsible matter in a responsible way actually navigate between the boundaries uh, of humans and machines, especially in this way, right? So to make machines more human is also uh, something you should be careful about how you do it but i think um it's a, it's it's from a technical perspective and from a societal perspective a very interesting i would say uh, area where two disciplines so tech and and human social skills are going to merge more and more interesting so you talked about yeah machines becoming more human what about humans not becoming machines yeah i think there we have Definitely, as humanity as a whole, but also as an organization, we have a responsibility to to really uh, have an active and proactive, I think, idea about how we define humanity, partly, right. well, but also what it means to, for example, work. Exactly. Right? What is a meaningful job? And if you can use technology to, to, I would say, create more meaningful jobs, I think uh, then we're on a track that is sustainable in the future right. as well. That's the. Yeah. I think we are optimists by nature. That's why. That's the. Well, there's also so many doomsday scenarios, but that's not. Uh, no, that, I mean, there are definitely doomsday <laughs> scenarios. But if you look back throughout history, throughout all the industrial revolutions, of course, kind of innovation and and progress in this case comes with shocks and with new Absolutely. disruptive technologies. Right. And I think we have a responsibility to. Um, uh, to kind of help, help yeah, yeah. To, to provide and help uh, help our people, our staff to to navigate that in that kind of complex realm because this the speed and the pace of which technology comes in is different, right? You Absolutely. cannot. It's not that you can easily take uh, X years to 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 reskill yourself. So this is a shared responsibility as a society that we have, and I think 
uh, as a company, we definitely have also an interest there because um, with the market share that we have, for example, in the Netherlands is 35%, uh, there's a business interest, there's, societal, uh, there's definitely a societal interest as well for us as a company to take the responsibility uh, there and to navigate through that development and application of technology in the area of work Correct. in a responsible way. And that's actually quite interesting how you have tied your background in psychology and work in what you do. You know, you, you initially I thought they're quite separate, but no, they're, it, they're it unified. makes a lot of sense. Yeah, so in, in both of our labs, we have completely dedicated research streams on, for example, responsible robotics. So yeah. how does how do machines interact responsibly Correct. with people? How can you embed values in a robot? These that's are the things that we actually study here in Delft. And in Amsterdam, we study explainable AI. So how can you explain what an algorithm does? Because uh, we think it's important that we are working towards transparency and um, do not operate all these black box algorithms. But to be able to explain to customers, this is why we give you this recommendation. That's interesting because this reminds me of my conversation with Marietje Schake. Yeah. And uh, I saw that we are connected. and So we talked about the same. It's just uh, explainability and uh, this is definitely on the list. Now, so, but still, I'm waiting for your uh, prediction. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we have we have not would, a company uh, prediction, your own. You know, I'm not gonna put a. <laughs> that's a disclaimer. So, okay, um, and I can pick my own time frame. Absolutely, that's right? the fun part. That's really the fun part. Yeah, I think um, I think we're we're and maybe that's a that's a bit. Strange to say, because I think every generation says it, but I think we, we're here right now that technology uh, and, and the boundaries of what technology can do are stretched so far that it requires humanity to take, to take action to see how far do we actually want it to go. And I think in the coming years, there will be a very lively debate where sometimes innovation will uh, result in stuff that people, have, people will kind of respond to like, no, this is, this is too far. Um, and I think if we go through this process in the next few years, it, it will be hugely intriguing where we end up. I agree. Um, if you look at AI specifically, I think, um, of course, there's this whole stream of research where people say, okay, can we actually um, develop general intelligence, right? right. Generic yeah, yeah, intelligence. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm working towards my prediction. Predict? <laughs> and this is definitely the area that you don't want to make a prediction. Well, no. that's the fun part. You yeah. know, like nobody's going to, like, nobody knows. Know. But I'm, of course, wary that in 10 years, uh, my family will, will, will grab their phones or devices or maybe they tap two times to their head and say, did you hear this? This was you 10 years ago. You made this prediction. It's really, well, maybe that's a prediction on its own. It's really, really lame, right? No. Um, I think um, technology will further enable unprecedented social interaction. And of course, my big worry is that, that general values as truth right. uh, are being... Um, um, well, maybe sometimes threatened by technology. And, but my prediction is, is that as humanity as a whole, uh, we are able to guide this in the right direction so that, we, that we, we might have a few shocks that were like, ooh, that was not entirely what we intended. But this comes with progress as well. Indeed. And I have the feeling that, that we will be able to figure it out in a responsible way within 10 years to, to have... Um, 
AI technology implemented even more embedded in our daily lives, but in a way that we can rely on it and trust it. Uh, but the general public will definitely push for explanation. Right. And they will definitely challenge the people who develop technology to do so um, in a way they can trust technology. Fantastic. So this is great. And uh, in fact, you did two predictions because you did mention that in 10 years, if people listen to you, so that's a prediction on its own. So, so Bart, any final words that you would want to share maybe to... What about to people who are just graduating out of university, yeah. trying to figure out what they want to do in life? Be mindful there, because I have a track record of, um, of giving a presentation and a lot of students end up at their advisors saying, maybe I'm not studying the right thing. So <laughs> this is a cliffhanger as well. So when, when, when I give um, uh, talks to marketing, uh, marketing students, for example, this is really a precarious topic again. Right. Um, because then I say, okay, really think through which skills you are developing, which are probably automatable and you can you can you can have a good guess if you look at all the reports that come out whether your occupation but more importantly the skills you you right. are developing are sustainable in a way yes or no and i think foundationally you have to think how te- how technology actually will be impacting that do you want to contribute in building that technology shaping it do you want to be um responsible or involved in in drafting the right boundary conditions exactly. for that yeah. or and now of course this is for i think for humanity as a well, whole super important are you responsible for delivering the creative value in Correct. society so in order to navigate in your career i would say take technology into account and then actively try to position yourself and if you're really 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 desperate in how to do this it's super good to read a few books from the 1920s <laughs> and my biggest tip would be read Rossum's Universal Robots interesting from 1920 yeah it's a play um, it's about uh, how robots and humanity collaborate and you will see that people throughout history have always had their fears about technology right that's, a, that's also I would say a, a general trend but we still there and we thrive as well uh, we have, of course, uh, our challenges as um, as humankind. But if you are if you are to consciously navigate, even during your graduation or during your studies, already how you want to kind of relate yourself to technology and society, I think even the process of doing so is super valuable for everyone who studies. Fantastic! I think that's a. F- great ending and uh, with the uplifting moment uh, thank you very much Bart for your time it was a pleasure and we talked a lot of different things and where the space of retail is and where it's heading into different models and what is uh, Ahol Dalhai's group doing thank you very much and yeah good thanks Ugh. okay